we're going to talk about Sabbath. And Sabbath is one of the things that um, North Americans, well, yeah, Protestants sort of in general, we don't really practice Sabbath. We label things sometimes as Sabbath, but we don't really do them. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that today and what does that look like for us as um, regular people and we are. So I wanted to start with the command um, because this is where the idea comes from. It was, in fact, a command. It is one of the, the big list of commands, right? We got the Ten Commandments. This is one of the commandments. And so if we were, do you, do you know where the Ten Commandments are located in the Bible? If you had to look them up? Oh, it's not up there yet. I thought, I thought it would be really easy, but it's not quite as easy yet. They're in the book of Exodus, right. And in chapter 20, they're also in the book of, oh yeah, there we go, book of Deuteronomy. The Ten Commandments actually appear in the, appear in the Bible twice, and that's part of the story. The first time as the people came just out of um, Egypt. And they're going to establish the relationship with God. He said, hey, let's just figure out. Let's figure out what's going to make us distinct, different from the cultures around us. And so he gave them this list. And then, you know, they kind of said, well, whatever, we're going to forget about you. And then we had the, the problems. Um, and, and so he said, okay, well, this generation is not going in. So Deuteronomy is the next generation on the edge of going into the promised land. God says, all right, let's try this again. Let's review everything that we said before. And so the list is provided again. And so I just wanted to jump into Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And you go, wow, that is so helpful. I have no idea what any of that means. Like I'm looking through there and I can pick out a word here that I know, but I don't know what that means. I know what day is. I can figure that out. Holy. What does holy mean? How do I keep it holy? How will I know if it's holy? And when here, it's not like the double in front, so it's not like there's a, a hole cut out of the week. It is holy. Holy is another way to say what God is like. That's the way we say our God is holy. And so sometimes you've heard it in a, in a really kind of uh, uh, judgmental way that someone would say, oh, you, I'm, I'm holier than thou, right? We've heard, we know that language, holier than thou. It's, oh, you, you think you're so much better than I am. But holy is a very, really easy concept to get. Holy is separate. That's what it means. So when we say God is holy, we say that he is separate. He is not like us. He is different. And so when we describe things that are holy, we might say, oh, we are in a holy place. Well, holy doesn't mean that it's magic in some sort of glistening, shiny, spiritual kind of way. It means separate, set aside, put aside for this function. So this space we have set aside for the worship of Jesus Christ. We, we focus on that. And so we use this space in that way. And by our use, it is made holy. And holy has some other consequences with, with what it does and, and, and how that grows and how God's spirit resides there. But the point is set apart and set aside. It doesn't mean perfect. Okay? So when someone would describe you as holy, you are part of the holy priesthood, a royal nation. This is something that we are described as not being perfect, but being set aside. We are set aside. I have chosen to set myself aside for ministry. So of the other things that I, I could have done, I don't do. I do 
this. I am set aside in that way, set aside for the service of Jesus. So you can be set aside for the service of Jesus. So when we say, um, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, what we're saying is make it separate, make it different. Don't make it like every other day. That was the point. And so the Sabbath is to reflect the idea that when God created the earth, he created six days and on the seventh day he rested. It was a day set aside. It's a day set aside for us to remember. It's a day set aside for us to relate. It's a day set aside so that we would do something differently than we do every other day time. And so it was a big deal to God. And so it starts in the Ten Commandments as remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, but he goes on and you won't be able to see all this, but he explains six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your, your son or your daughter nor your male or your female servant, not your animals, nor your any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and what is in them, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy, blessed it and made it separate, made it specified to the purpose of. And so if you read through there quickly, you go, oh man, he's talking about male and, and female servants. So the Bible must be advocating for having male and female servants, right? That's what it says. But in the context, you've got to remember, this is the initiation of a relationship. This is the first time that they have ever done anything that is separate for God. And so he's setting up the way the relationship works. This is the way all of the world works. Let's start to try and make those things different. Let's start to make it distinct in some way. So the, the, the project of what all the God would have us to be and to do is not complete in this first statement. It goes on and it grows as we go on farther on. So when you get the opportunity to follow laws and commandments, who among us says thank you? Right? We don't normally respond in a way that go, I'm so glad that we got another law. I'm so glad that our government decided that what we needed was a law about whatever. Because the problem is, we don't like it when anybody tells us to do anything ever. That's just the way it works. That's the way we generally respond. We don't like to be told what to do, especially if it's what we don't want to do. It doesn't even matter why, right? I just, I just don't want to do it. So that's the way we generally have. The other way that we respond Maybe you're, maybe you're a, a Christian and you're, and you're trying to figure out how do I live like a Christian? Like we get some vague concepts, but I don't know how to do it day to day. And so the idea of law is sometimes very helpful. Just tell me what to do. Like I, I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want to have to figure it all out for myself. Just tell me what's right and wrong. Give me some black and white. Let me just know. And so sometimes people feel more comfortable with that kind of a response. Just tell me what to do. And that is the way that God started the relationship with us. Let me tell you some things to do. Let me tell you some things not to do. The command um, that was there, all the, all the Ten Commandments came as guidelines about what this relationship was going to be like. They had never met Yahweh. They didn't even know his name yet. But this God had just rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And so the, the purpose of those laws was to start a relationship. How do we get along? Because all we know is what we've experienced. All we know is what we've seen. And all of us living have only ever been slaves. 
That's all we ever have seen. And we've been slaves. Our, our, our country people have been slaves for hundreds of years. It's all that we know. We don't know how to do anything else. And so the starting with these commandments gave them a way to see the world as a little bit different than what Egypt was. A little bit different. So some familiarity, you already know some of these things, and some things to say, this is what it's like to be in a relationship with me. And so that's how it starts. So um, the idea of these commandments was to shape and to guide a relationship, and a relationship that is a partnership. Now, before this, it's very hard to understand for us, but before this, there had never been a concept that you had a relationship with a God. You, like there, there's no uh, quid pro quo. There is a desperately try to stay out of the bad books. That's what the relationship was, right? If I give you this silver bowl, maybe you won't kill me. If, if, I, if I give you this, this cow, maybe you won't kill my child. If, if, if I give you um, bottles of wine, maybe you'll make my crops grow. That's the sort of relationship it was. That's all they knew. And the God figure that they were introduced to in Pharaoh was tremendously unfriendly, especially to them. You will give me what I want and we'll do it under pain of death with whips, with taskmasters. That's what relationship looked like for them and that's what they knew. They might not have liked it, but it's not like there was a memory that they had collectively that would say, do you remember when we didn't do this? Because they wouldn't. They wouldn't remember doing anything other than that. So these laws, these commands, set up the guideline for a new relationship that had a side of partnership that is so foreign, so groundbreaking, so earth-shattering in its um, way that it broke into the world in general, in no country that we have discovered, in no religion that we have ever heard of, in no documents that we have ever seen, in no culture that's ever been discussed, had there been anything that looks like this relationship that God was trying to start with them. Um, all that they knew, all that they knew was slavery. And so God institutes this thing called Sabbath, and he said, what I want you to do is for one day a week. I know that you're used to working seven days a week because that's what slavery is. But not just slavery. That's what general life in this time period was. It's survival, right? So God institutes this time that says, for one day a week, I want you to stop, and whatever it is you do on those other six days, that's what I don't want you to do on this day. I, I, I want you to just look at your family. Enjoy them. I, I want you to, to look at the stuff that you have and appreciate it. I want you to stop for a moment and think about what life is without all the other stuff that you have to do all the time. And I want to make it holy. I want to set apart and make it separate because I want you to think every time you have this special day, every single week that you've never had in your history before, I want you to think about me, that I brought you out of slavery. I took you from a place where you were forced to work on pain of death. I want you to remember one day a week that I stopped that. I brought you freedom. I brought you to a place where the work that you do now has benefit for you and not just for someone else. I want, I want you to understand that this is what I, what, I, what I wanted for you is the beginning of a freedom where things are different, that you will live differently, that you won't be trapped, that you won't be in bondage like you have been in the past. And so I want you to, to separate yourself from that regular routine of work and busyness 
and I want you to have something else. I want you to remember that you should take a day away from that because never before in your history have you ever been able to take a day away. This is special so that on this day you will remember me and what I stand for, the freedom, the gift that I have given to you. That You can remember that and reflect that and let that grow in you as a value that you want to share with the people around you that you would want to have them also enjoy their family, also to enjoy what they have. I want that to be the way that we go forward. I came, I rescued you, I saved you, I freed you. In this, I am showing to you in advance that I love you. Before you've done anything for me, I love you and these are the gifts that I'm gonna give to you. So I want you to um, now not follow a pace of life that is dictated to you, but to start to develop a rhythm a rhythm to the way of living, that we understand that the work that you did quite often had a rhythm that was based on the sun. It's called day and night. You had a rhythm of seasons. Well, we had planting, we had tending, we had harvesting. Those were seasons, and they put a rhythm into our life. I want you to institute a rhythm into your life that affects you very, very physically, but it affects you spiritually as well. I want you to have a rhythm to the way that you live in every week. And part of that rhythm that I want you to always have there is a remembrance that what you have is a gift from me, that we are in relationship together, that I worked for you and on your behalf before you did anything for me. I want you to call this Sabbath, the day that you remember that you've been freed from slavery, you've been freed from bondage. You are no longer under those old rules. And so the Sabbath in the Old Testament, is repeated a couple of times, and it becomes a very, very strict law that you, you are required, you must, thou shalt observe the Sabbath. And then they made a whole bunch of rules and laws to go around to define that term holy. What does it mean to be holy? Well, we're going to tell you. This is what holiness looks like. And so they had those rules, and they would watch each other and say, oh, you're doing the wrong thing today. You did too much of that thing when you should have not been doing that thing. And they'd watch each other to try and keep them accountable, keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. But the, the, the idea was rhythm. It's a rhythm of grace. And it became a military march, a way to go forward, but to go forward in, in rigidity, in, in, in an absolute kind of way, in a non-relational way. It became a negative relationship to each other because the downside of law is that while it sometimes is helpful for us to just tell me what to do, the way that we normally like to use law is so that I can tell you what to do. And we like to do that. We like to tell each other what to do, right? Or what not to do. You shouldn't be doing that. Stop that. Cut that out. I'm watching. You're doing the wrong thing. And this is the way that it started to shape their life. This is the way that we get accused frequently of treating other people. Oh, you don't behave the way I think you should behave. God thinks you should behave that way. And we get into a mold of trying to form people into a military march following that and not following the rhythm of grace that that law was set up to show. It was supposed to remind us of a relationship that we have with God where he brought us freedom not translating our freedom into a new form of bondage. And that's the struggle that we have with law. And so that's why the Sabbath is not repeated in the New Testament. It is not emphasized to say, and going forward, everybody should keep the Sabbath. But the Sabbath remains a good rhythm. 
It becomes something that we can do that is part of our spiritual practice, not because we have to, but because we choose to and because there's tremendous benefit in it. It was not so much, it's now not so much of a have-to law, but it is wise counsel that breeds longevity. So we get from the command and we move to the grace. And then we get to Jesus and what he was saying. We're going to jump into the middle of a story. And in this story, his disciples were out walking and they were walking on the Sabbath. And as they were walking by a field, they were on the edge of the field. And so they were picking off pieces of wheat, pieces of grain, and eating them as they walked by which is not stealing because that's what the edges of fields were allowed to be done to. That was an understanding that was already set. As someone is going through, they are allowed to pick as they go, not to fill baskets, but to pick and eat. That was okay. But people saw them and they said, this action is work. You are not supposed to be harvesting. It's the Sabbath. And you missed the point. Right? And so Jesus says, In Mark 2, 27, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In in other words, the law that was created wasn't so that you'd have a good law. Boy, we're really lacking on laws. I could really use a couple more laws. I hope we can find some. Oh, the Sabbath, what a great law. No, no, the, the point of the law was the unforced rhythm of grace. To remember our relationship with God, to remember that he freed us from slavery, and that we are to be in right relationship with him and with the people around us. This is the gift of what Sabbath is. So the, the, the idea of following Sabbath wasn't so you could follow the law. It's that the law is a good idea so that you would live better freely. So that's what Jesus was trying to say. We didn't make man so that we had someone to follow the laws. When God said, okay, I want to make humankind. I'm going to make them in my image. And what I really need is a bunch of people who will follow laws that I've already made. I've got laws, no one's following them, I better make people to follow my laws. Totally ridiculous idea. He made people to be in relationship, and then he provided guidelines to say, how does that relationship work best? This is what it looks like. And then like we do in so many other places, we say, well, I'll just keep doing that. We'll just keep, I, don't, I don't have to think, I don't have to relate, I don't have to look at the higher values, I follow the law, follow the law. And that's not the way it was supposed to go. So, um, Tim Keller, he said, the Sabbath is about restoring the diminished. It's about replenishing the drained. It's not about repairing, it's about repairing the broken. It's not about just an off day. So think with me if you can. In the last 15 years, we have had an increase in intensity. It always existed. But there's been an increase in intensity in mental illness, in anxiety, in difficulties of feeling stress and stress-related diseases. It has hit the health system. And in that 15 years, I'm not making a direct correlation, okay? But one of the things that we said consciously as a culture was, we don't want a day off. Whether it was going to be religious or spiritual or whatever, that's a day to make money. What we need to do is make every day the same. Every day we should just keep that rhythm. No break, no rest. And whether you decide that you're going to follow God or worship Jesus or or believe that he's the son of God has nothing to do with the impact that the value of a rest, of a rhythm, of rest, makes on your ability to sustain whatever it is you're going to do. Great example for us in Toronto would be a new term that came into favor this year. Had to do with a man playing basketball. 
and they thought it would be a good idea if he didn't play basketball every game. And they called it load management. As if to say that the load of a regular season of basketball was too much for a basketball player. The rest of them, sure, you play every game, but not him. But that idea came in. You know what? We're going to get better longevity, better performance out of this guy if we manage his load. And they say it made a big, big difference. Does that mean that they're going to cut the number of basketball games that they play? Absolutely not. It's too much money. Are we going to give everyone else the chance to load management? Absolutely not. But did it make a difference for that guy? It sounds like it really did. And this is the rhythm that God had sort of instituted at the beginning to say you need to have a reset. It's not just an off day. It's a day that is restorative. It is healing and it brings you back up. If you think of yourself as having multiple tanks, I have a a physical energy tank and I've got a mental energy tank and I've got a spiritual energy tank and I've got emotional energy tanks. I know that throughout the week, throughout the month, each of my tanks is drained in one way or another. So what do I consciously do to fill up those tanks? Well, this is one of the days that was set aside for tank filling, restoration, healing. They grow in rest. That's the way we transform. So most of the things that, we are, um, that are absolutely essential to us, that, that cause us to live and to enjoy life, don't come from a state of busyness. They come in a state of rest so that we might be busy at another time. So the idea then is that we go and we create sacred space, spaces that have been set aside. So sacred there means holy as well, set aside. So there's this time when Jesus is a uh, He's going to feed 5,000 people, 5,000 men. You remember we talked about this? 5,000 men plus women and children. So uh, he went to a place to, to rest, and the people found out where he was going. They go, awesome, why don't we go too? And so they showed up, and then we have this time when he feeds the 5,000. The disciples uh, are after. They're totally drained. They're exhausted. And they go, oh, I don't know how we're going to do this. How are we going to go forward? And, and then um, Mark 6.31, it says, Then because so many people were coming and going, They did not even have a chance to eat. And Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. In another translation, or a couple of other translations, it says, come apart with me. He recognizes the problem. He says, we got a diagnosis. What I need to do is remove you from those people, not because the people are inherently bad, but because you need a time away. So let's come away. Let's eat. Let's rest Let's restore. Jesus recognizes it, and he recommends, and then he goes past recommendation, and he compels. Come with me. Let's do this. Come with me. Off by ourselves. Let's go to a quiet place, and we're going to get some rest. Come apart with me and rest. If you don't, you'll come apart. If you don't come apart, apart for a while, you will come apart in a while. It it, it is very simple to be able to see how this works, and this is the rhythm that Jesus is putting in again. You need to be able to take some of this time and make it important. Sabbath keeping is not intended to make us more productive. That's part of the language that we use to describe what we want in our culture today. More productivity, higher efficiency. Sabbath Sabbath keeping is intended 
to protect us from the idol of productivity. So while we say one of the great values that I have is that we should become more productive, it is very easy for that goal to become the idol, to become the Pharaoh that now oppresses me to do these things. I must be more productive. You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever been at home and thought to yourself, I shouldn't sit down now, I should be doing something? The first church that I worked at, one of the elders, really big guy, massive hands, just huge hands. He would joke all the time and he would say, you know what my dad used to tell me? And he's telling me this as this is the good information that I should keep for the rest of my life. He says, don't just stand there, make a sandwich. As in, if you've got the time to stand there, you should at least do something worthwhile. And that has become the idea that we called it before the Protestant work ethic, that you should work hard and you go, absolutely, whatever you put yourself into, you should put yourself there 100%. But to give yourself the best, you must also learn to be still. You must learn how to be silent. This is part of what restores us. And part of our cultural um, trauma that we're suffering right now is because we don't know how to do that. And even when you're alone, your hand goes to your pocket or to your purse, right? Sort of quiet for a moment. Let me just... Sorry, what was that? We, we have a device that's been given to us that, that helps with communication in so many different ways, but we don't know how to stop. We, we don't know how to control it. And so, so part of your Sabbath might even be a way for you to just be alone with you. And, and if the one that you're afraid to be alone with is you, then you don't want to ignore that problem because you're going to be around all the time that you're there. You want to figure out how I can be with me and be better in that time, how do I listen to what's really happening? These are the gifts that sacred space can give us sometimes. And so, um, how we live, you don't think about it like this. How we live is a manifestation of what we trust. I do what I do because I trust what will happen because of what I do. It's a rhythm that we fall into. I do this because I have to do this so that that will happen. So one of the great challenges we have to live a Christian life is to figure out what it is that we trust, who it is that we trust. If I stop, if I don't keep going, if I don't do that one more thing, will it all come apart? Will it all collapse? That's part of the question that goes inside us. And because we don't answer the question, we assume the answer. And the answer that we assume is, I assume it's all going to go wrong. And so i got to keep going. i got to keep going. i got, I got to keep my mind busy. i got to keep active. I can't stop and think by myself. What we want to do is to grow in our trust. And we spent six weeks talking about growing our faith, right? And we use the word trust sort of interchangeably with faith because faith kind of feels churchy sometimes, and it doesn't help me on Tuesday afternoon, but trust, trust I get. If I trust Jesus, then the difference that Jesus makes is not a Sunday morning difference. It's a difference that he makes all the time. I have to trust him in the middle of the week that it's going to be okay. That if I take a break, and that's what Sabbath can feel like sometimes, if I take that time away from doing these things that I need to do because I'm running out of time, geez, I've got so much to do, we don't think about how much we add in to make us busy, right? That doesn't matter. It's just that I'm busy. 
Self-inflicted wound? Sure it is, but I'm busy. Now what am I going to do? Well, you give some of this time to Sabbath to trust that God allows what is necessary to happen to happen. My outcome is not dependent strictly on me working really hard. My outcome depends very much on what God has planned for me. And I can make an impact for sure. But if I can say, God, I'm going to give this time specifically to you and to what you value. You told me to value my family. You told me to value my relationships. My family that is blood and my family that is by choice, my friends. You told me to invest in people. You told me to to take a moment to remind myself that I'm not a slave and that I'm free, that I'm close to you, that I'm in relationship with you, in relationship and partnership, and I have to do something in that. Well, the thing that God wants you to do so much more than follow the rules is to be in right relationship. And that's what's difficult. Because the change that happened with the New Testament was that Jesus said, I'm going to give you my spirit and he's going to live inside you and he's going to guide you in these things. So it's not going to be, the rule says that I have to, it's going to be the spirit directs me to move into Christ-like character? How will I appear more like Christ as I go forward? How will I manifest an increasing dosage of love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, perseverance? How will those things grow in me? Because I work really hard? Because I trust that God manifests himself in me. And that's part of the transformation that comes through trust. I trust that God will intervene in my life, in the everyday not just in the miraculous. So as we talk about project accessibility, we're not looking about um, strictly what God would do in a miraculous, earth-shattering, Red Sea-splitting kind of way. Although, why not anticipate what our God can do above and beyond what we can actually imagine? But in the everyday, in the mundane, to transform us, because I don't live in the miraculous all the time. I live with me all the time in the regular, in the toe-stubbing, finger getting jammed, shirt getting caught in a zipper kind of world, right? This is where we normally live, and God can intervene in those times and change my regular every day to be one where I can trust Him with an outcome. That that, the trust is not just when there's a catastrophe. Trust is in the everyday sort of sense. And so Sabbath was supposed to remind us of these things so that I can live in trust. That's where we're supposed to go. And so uh, Psalm 23 describes a, a beautiful picture of what this can look like. And you, many of you, I'm sure, have heard Psalm 23 before. Maybe it was at a funeral. Maybe you were taught the song. But, but here's part of it. Listen again. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord God is the one who cares for me, watches over me. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He gives me rest in places that are well provided. He leads me beside quiet waters because um, if I go to rough waters, I can't drink. And so he's involved in sustaining me in all the ways that I need to be sustained at a level that I can receive them. He refreshes my soul. Other translation says he restores my soul. He recharges. If you think in a video game, he gives me power up. He puts me back to full health. All of my health bars go up. My cell phone connection, I'm at full bars connection. This is the kind of difference that he makes. He guides me along the right paths. Guides me is very active and very relational. Right? It's not thou shalt and you must. 
It's, I think you should go left over there. And you better angle right. Watch, watch the tree branch overhead. He guides me in these paths. He is with me in an ongoing sense. My trust with him is one of those back and forth kind of moments that's moment to moment. It's all the time. It's every day. God intervenes and intercedes with and for me. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. So not just a path, the right path. All kinds of things that I've been asked um, throughout my career. One of the things that I'm asked most frequently is, how do I know God's will for my life? And you change it to, how do I know God's will for my job? How do you know God's will for my marriage? How do I know God's will for my dating? How do I know God's will for my car? How do I know what the right answer is? As if we're waiting for God to simply give us a command again, left, not her, yes, him, what, what, those kinds of commands that we can just respond to. And the, the idea that we trust God means that there is this ongoing interpersonal relationship that gives us the Spirit of God as the guide, the one who helps us to find the path that we're on. We'd like to make that path easy. Just give me the answer and I'll do it. But the answer was trust me ongoing, not for a moment, so that you can get a little bit from God and then forget him and walk away from him. Do what you want until the next time you need a decision, you say, God, tell me what to do. Fine, thank you. Leave him behind and go. The whole walk is to walk together with God, moment by moment, big decisions and small. The more you follow, the more you listen, the easier it is to move and to follow. The more you get a sense of his voice and his calling. Sabbath is a gift that helps us to attain this level of spiritual connection. So it is not hard to feel forsaken or left behind or abandoned by God because God didn't answer the prayer that you prayed the way that you wanted him to answer it in the timeline that you wanted. It is easy to feel that way. This would be a great place to say, how many people have ever felt abandoned by God that he just doesn't feel like he's there right now? I mean, that's our universal experience. That's where we can all kind of relate to I don't want to be ignored by an unresponsive God. And this has drawn a lot of people out of the church because they were looking for magic answers. That things would just always go well all the time. That's evidence of God's presence. We've talked about this too. Bad things happen to good people and God is right there. Not causing the bad thing. But right there in the midst of the bad thing. Because he causes us to overcome, to come through, and to bear up under he empowers and gives us direction as we move forward in that way. When we feel out of alignment with God, there's a restless agony that we live in. I can't be settled no matter what goes on. We don't even sense sometimes that we're out of alignment, but that's the function of something like Sabbath is to give you the opportunity for realignment whether you knew you needed it or not. It allows you to come back into alignment. All the parts line up properly. There's no unnecessary wear. There's a rhythm to how things go. Not a military march of precision, thou shalt, you must, always. But now a dance. A dance where as we move with the Spirit of God, when the things that oppose us come, it's not stand and fight. It's just keep moving. Just keep following the rhythm of the Spirit so that the, the, the difficulties are still there, but we are not bound by them. We are not um, imprisoned to them anymore. There's a freedom 
that comes in the fluidity of movement. Spirituality is an art form more than a science. It's a, it's a way to be, but it's, you've got to learn the rhythm. You've got to get better at dancing and trusting in that time so that we can be at peace, not because of what's happening around us, but in spite of what's happening around us. And when I say peace, I don't just mean the absence of conflict. We have come to, to really debase the nature of peace to mean no active fighting. But we're talking peace that's much more like shalom. And shalom is the status that everything is right. Everything is in the right place. My relationships are in the right place. They are honest. They are authentic. They are clear. So our relationships to each other matter greatly. How we treat each other matters greatly so that our relationship with our Father can also be clear. That shalom, that peace, that presence, that is everything is at right now is more a state of the gift the Spirit can give to us. Sabbath is the time to receive the gift of silence and let it deepen into gratitude. Set free. No longer imprisoned. No longer a slave. Sabbath was to be the reminder of the gift that God gave us of freedom. To embrace that, to take that in. That will impact your relationships. It'll make your family better. It'll work better with your children. You'll have more to give to those people who need from you when you can stop. Reflect. Put your mind on those things that God has told you are of value to Him. Your family, your friends, your relationships, and your relationship with Him. Rest in this context is also a manifestation of trust. As I rest, I am consciously saying, God, I'm going to trust you for the outcome. I will not be working right now to make the outcome what I want it to be. I will trust. I don't have to fix it all right now. I will trust what you will do in me and through me. A rebalancing, a reorganizing, a realignment, a reorienting of thoughts, actions, relationships. Reminds you that I am not the only one who's involved with me. It's beyond me. It's more than just me. I am not the only important one. That doesn't mean that you're not important. It just means that you're not the only important one. This is the realignment that Sabbath gives us, this freedom to be in right relationship, to experience grace, and then to display and offer grace to someone around us. As we think of summer and so many vacations and things that we get to do that are different, take that time to intentionally take a scoop of Sabbath where you can find it, where you are going to make it, that rest that says, I will trust. I will trust you, God, not just for those big decision kinds of things, but for the regular rhythm of my life. Be involved with me, but then be an influence to someone else that when you go, you bring peace. You bring rest. 
You bring right relationship. You will be a very desirable person to be around. Most people don't bring that with them when they travel. They bring anxiety. They bring neediness. They bring pain. They bring disillusionment. They bring frustration. They bring disappointment. They bring past memories of things that have gone wrong. All very real things. All things that we can process and deal with in our Sabbath so that we are ready to be people that truly make a difference in this world. Not because we shine with spiritual glowy white clothes, but because our nature is so different that it is recognizable. You just bring a calm when you come. You bring a joy. You light up the room when you're here. And it's not because just if you're charming, where are your personality? It's because of the character of Christ shining through you. You want to figure out how to do Christianity? This is one of the ways that you can do the how. Kind Father, thank you once again for being very much a part of our lives, in us, working through us. May it continue. May it deepen. For those of us who have never experienced the opportunity to be in right relationship with you, God, I pray that you would give courage today to say, there's something that I need to do. There's a step that I need to take. There's a prayer I need to make. I need some help. This is a place for no perfect people. This is a place for people who are broken and getting repaired. Repair us and help us to repair each other that we might be built back up with the gifts of the Spirit. Move us forward today again, Father, that you would take words that we have heard today, that you would speak them to us, translate them to us specifically, but then you would give us the ability to speak those things back out, that you would move in us, but then through us as well. And help us to understand what it is that you would have us to do, because when we understand what you would have us to do, help me to think like you think. Help me to see the way you see, because when I see the way you see, I can do what you say and it makes sense. And in the rest of the time, when I don't see the way you see, sometimes what you say doesn't make sense to me and I'm frustrated. Help me to see as you see, that I might do as you say. Use me to make a difference today in my family, with my friends, in my town, wherever I go. Thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.